I'm always on the lookout for new concepts and trends. And during a visit to Cape Town in 2017, I came across Seco Drink Infusion, a product made by Vessel Peterson at Taste Lab in Woodstock. Vessel is a food scientist and entrepreneur. In this episode, he shares the lessons he learned launching his first product, which is now exported to 18 countries. My name is Holger Meyer, and this is Drinks World. Welcome to the show. And today, my guest is food scientist and entrepreneur Vessel Peterser. Welcome to the show, Vessel. Morning, Holger. Thanks so much. How are you doing? It's really nice to catch up with you after the long COVID break. We first started uh, chatting after I saw your product somewhere in Cape Town in 2017. When did you start your 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 business? I started it actually, you would have seen it just when it launched. I launched Seco, a range of drink infusions at the end of 2017. So that's kind of when it all started. Okay, and that was when the whole gin revolution started, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yes, I think that's when I like started loving gin. I started like enjoying gin myself. So I like was always playing with like adding infusions, adding dried fruit, adding spices, but I wouldn't have all of it at home at any given time. So I kind of like thought about how could I solve this problem of having something for myself at home to garnish my drink with. Um, and then yeah, Seco was kind of naturally born. So give us there. explain to us what Seco is for. For people that haven't seen the product? So basically what Seco is, it's a single serving sachet that would contain different fruits and spices in combination. So you've got a raspberry rose hibiscus one, there's a pepper one with, uh, there's a berry one with strawberries, blueberries and peppercorn. There's one with ginger and lime and cinnamon. And then there's spice pomegranate, um, which is basically pomegranate with cardamom aniseed for the like, people that love more spices in their gin. Um, so basically what happens is there's this little sachet, you open it, you pour it into your glass, and then you add your gin and your tonic, and it naturally colors and flavors your gin. So there's no additives, there's no colorants, there's no flavorants. So it's all just extracting the natural flavors and colors from the fruit and spices. Yeah. You make it sound so easy. You, you, had this, you saw this need, and then you came up with this product. Uh, maybe talk us through that process. I think it's always important to stick to an industry that you know. Um, so for me, like naturally, like studying food science, I understood food safety and understood like a food environment and kind of packaging and manufacturing. And then again, when studying business, it kind of helps when you're in conversations with store owners and stuff to understand like the cost structures and all of that around it. And then luckily for me, I happened to study product design and innovation in Spain. So again, there I learned how to like look at a product and reassess the whole time. Like, is the packaging right? Is the product right? Is the price point right? And kind of so that all that like, came together in the end when launching Seco. I didn't think it would become my main business, um, but it kind of did. But I worked with an amazing branding company. For me, branding was key in the beginning. I thought like, what would you spot on a shelf first like is, that's the packaging and then people will be drawn to that so i worked with an amazing branding company in cape town and they actually like worked with me for a couple of months we went through like so many trials and errors and coming up with the correct packaging 
for Seco that would explain what it was, but also attract the consumer. Because, I mean, dried fruits and spices usually don't have the best packaging on the shelf. No. I wanted something to stand out. And there are, I mean, now there's a, there's a lot of different little mixing packets and, and tin boxes and stuff on the market, but they they all don't, they're not on the same level of, of when it comes to the packaging. Well, thanks. Yeah, I think there are there's quite a few ones. <laughs> there are quite a few ones. There are some nice ones. There's some ones that I think have come and gone. Um, they, uh, but I have seen quite a few in the market. I think it's just key to, like, at the end of the day, the product within the packaging must be of high quality. So we only use a specific type of dried fruit. We only choose out the whole berries and the whole spices. Um, so you don't sit with these little bits in your mouth in the end. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's key. I think um, also just product placement and actually getting to market first was something that helped us yes. quite a bit. So we we were there first, so all the stores were excited. And I think after that, it does become quite difficult for other brands to enter the market because, I mean, it's a very niche. It's a very niche market, so it is quite difficult for new players to enter. Yeah. yeah I mean, you can maybe service your local markets, but uh, not not really build a brand. Yeah, so I think that's something for us. I think people identified the brand as well with kind of a drink infusion or garnish. So I think that's something that really helped us was to get to market first. Yeah. When you were studying in Spain, um, and I spoke to the guys from Hope on Hopkins, Lucy and Lee, and I mean, they were inspired to start their distillery because they did a, th a trip through Spain and saw all the gin and they said, this is what we want to do. Did you experience the gin, gin revolution in Spain? Um, so not as much in Spain. I actually studied in Spain. And then at the end of 2016, that same year, I went to France to a food conference. And then walking through the liquor section, I just noticed like a massive amount of like gin guys and a lot of players entering the market. And I saw all of them adding dried fruit and spices to their gin or even fresh fruit. So I saw this like massive trend towards gin and garnishes um, in 2016 in France. And then I started paying attention to like bars. What are they adding? What type of flavors are they using? So I actually like started going to a lot of bars and ordering gins and kind of like sassing out what the main ingredients were they were using and what consumers like most. And I would ask the barman like, what's your most popular flavor you're selling? And I kind of like did a little bit of market research like that before I launched. And how long did it take you to bring this product to market? It took from concept to launch. It was about six months. Um, obviously, sourcing dried fruits and spices isn't the most difficult thing in the world. Um, so it was just getting the combinations right and then basically developing the packaging, getting something right that would protect your product. Um, we went through a lot of tasting phases of just selling sachets, um, but actually the fruit would just break. So we had to start selling it in a box. Um, so that whole process took about six months until I could launch. But then we also went very small. We, I was packaging at home, had a few, or actually just had two staff members at the time helping me yeah, package stock. And then we just focused on one liquor store in Cape Town to see what, how it would sell before we actually scale up and go into market. Yeah. And if I look at our correspondence, our email correspondence, you you clearly told me, no, you're not ready to move out of Cape Town. You don't have enough stock. So it looks like you really started small and you weren't, um, you knew what you wanted. 
Yes, I think that's the problem with a lot of startups. I think a lot of guys think I've got this amazing concept. Let's employ eight people. Let's get a facility where you're going to package. Let's like, yeah, just let's go massive from the beginning. I think that's what I maybe did right is I, I mean, in the beginning, I was actually packaging by myself at home. And then I just tested it in one store. And then my goal was to get the product into a company with a national footprint. So going to like take lots of Yappy Chef. Um, first, so we could advertise, and then as soon as you can advertise on social media, I think it was important to have a national footprint. Because yeah. if somebody from Joburg or Durban contacted me, I wouldn't want to say, so I don't have a place we can buy it. So I think our main goal was to first list on one of these national retail online retailers. Um, also, start very small. So as we grew, I then ran to the space, and I then employed more staff, and then it became a whole other ball game because then you just start focusing on a lot of supply issues and pricing and stuff like that because then you actually had a real business versus just like a little hobby at home. Now, what does the factory look like now compared to then? Now, it's quite a big place. We've got eight permanent packaging staff that just sit um, from the morning into the evening. We used to also dry the fruit ourselves, but we actually couldn't keep up with the drying and focusing on seasonality and stuff wasn't our speciality. So I also realized that I had to outsource that quite quickly. So we then started working with um, local fruit dryers and also international suppliers of fruit um, to get the best fruit seasonality and dry in the best place to be able to supply all year round. Um, so at the moment, it's we don't dry ourselves anymore, but we've got a permanent packaging staff that just sit in package from eight to five and then we ship from there. Did you have to train the consumer or did the consumer understand exactly what the product was for? So I think there's two um, there's two types of consumers we found in the beginning. There were the consumers that immediately understood it because they were looking for something like it. They saw it on Yappy Chef. They were following us on Instagram. But actually until today, I mean, we've been going for, what, four and a half years. And it's still today when we go to a market and you show somebody they still like have they're only seeing it for the first time and they actually then understand the product so i mean there's still people learning there's still people seeing it for the first time so i think it's important to keep educating people because yeah sometimes they don't know what's inside the packaging or what it is used for mm. where's your big biggest takeoff is it is it through those online retailers or do you service a lot of the I guess the the places that sell gin and products like that. No, so our biggest takeoff is definitely through the online retailers okay. of Africa. Um, so I think that's our biggest market. And then also we've got our own online stores. So there's the Seco online store for Europe and for Hong Kong and the US. And the US we also sell through Amazon. And that's actually one of our biggest route to markets uh, as well as the Amazon market. And uh, how how do you do that? Have you got uh, logistics set up in, in those countries then? Um, yes. So that is actually one of my main learnings from starting a business. In the beginning, if somebody from overseas spotted your brand and they would send an email to say, we want to distribute in Switzerland, I would get so excited. I would say, oh, yes, please. This is the price. Yes, products. Send them samples. Because you're so eager and so keen to get your product out there. But what I quickly realized is that I had to do research on agents and distribution companies and other companies before you actually start a partnership with them. 
Um, so what we now do have is we've got the right partners in the right countries. So we have got distribution agents in a couple of countries and they actually order from us, they hold the stock and then they would supply it to Amazon or other oh, stores. Okay. So the risk kind of the risk kind of moves towards them um, in terms of sales after they've ordered, which is also good because that pushes them to sell the product and to market and to focus on their social media and doing festivals and doing trade shows and stuff. Yeah. I've also heard that from some of the gin uh, makers in South Africa that were so excited to get orders from, from Europe and then they ended up having wonderful partners, but they don't have the same ambitions, I guess. Yeah, so I think it is, I think it's key to also find the right part and also to look at what they're selling at the moment and where they're selling. And I think that's been quite a nice thing for me as a South African brand or Seco as a South African brand that I was looking at where the other gen guys and the tonic guys are selling overseas and then kind of connecting with the people that are already selling a staple of South African products because I think they've been passionate about the product. They already understand the gen trade in their country. Um, so then Seco kind of like cotton on to that. And then a similar way, as soon as we've found a distribution partner in a new country, if you've then now been working with gin brands and tonic brands locally, you kind of like link them to the same distribution partner. So then it helps with sale and it does help to drive sales if there's a bundle of gin-related products in a market and if it's the same agent. I think that just helps um, the agent on the other side to get listings and to kind of have like a bundle together. If you follow people on social media and go through their websites, you can quickly see who sells where and then you can kind of try and connect with distributors in the same areas. Um, but it is also nice. I think in South Africa, there's a culture where the brands want to help each other. Yeah. So I've had a lot of introductions to agents in other countries or distributors through local gin brands or through tonic brands. So in a similar way, we kind of like help each other. I think there's a nice culture in the South African gin industry. Yeah. And how many countries do you supply now? Um, at the moment, we in 18 countries around the world. I mean, that goes from Mozambique, Namibia, Mauritius locally, and then Europe, a few countries, and then also Singapore, Hong Kong, um, Australia. We actually just listed with, with Woolworths in Australia, which is a nice new market for us to enter. Um, so the, there's 18, and then there's about two more we're working on at the moment. So hopefully we'll be like in. 20 countries by the European summer. Okay, that's, that sounds very exciting. Um, and, and retail chains in South Africa, is there a market, is, is there an opportunity there? Yes, definitely. So we, I mean, we distribute through provincial distributors. Okay. So for each province, we've got a different distributor and they deal directly with retailers. So we do, through them, we supply to pick and pay we supply to Tops at Spa, we do Liquor City. Um, yeah, there's a few of the bigger retailers we deal, or it's mainly Spa and Pick and Pay, actually, where we sell through their liquor stores. And how has COVID affected the business? Um, so obviously, the first couple of months was hard. Yeah. Um, when everything came to shut down, you didn't know what to do. Um, I wanted to keep my employees going because they've really worked so hard over the years. So like my first priority was to keep them and their families going because supporting eight families and letting that go is not easy. Um, so we kind of tried to let it go. And then I focused a lot on exports because locally with the liquor trade opening and closing and our products sitting on a shelf in a liquor store, we were kind of like 
our hands were tied. We couldn't move it from the stores. The stores were shut. So in South Africa, it was actually quite challenging. But then we found that overseas, consumers started drinking more at home. They started playing with like home exology kits and stuff. So we actually started focusing a lot on export then and entering new markets, um, which actually worked amazingly well. We launched, I think during COVID, we launched in it like hard lockdown. We launched in about eight new countries um, of what the US was one of them. So it was a massive win for us actually just because consumers were sitting at home, they were drinking more, they were on social media more, so they probably found us, looked at more recipes. Um, so that actually helped in South Africa kind of died down a bit over that season, uh, but also it helped us focus on um, other opportunities, looking at private label, looking at other stuff. So um, COVID in general in South Africa, I think we took a knock, but in terms of general sales and growth as a brand, I think we actually learned a lot and started focusing on new opportunities. So in a whole, I think we actually did quite well. I'm very glad to hear that. Vessel, you were part of this My Kitchen Rules uh, program on television. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Um, Isaac, a friend and I, we decided to enter just for the fun of it. And then obviously there was a round of interviews. The next thing we got a call to say we're in the top 10 and we need to go into a COVID bubble in Johannesburg the week after. Um, so there was like a massive scramble to kind of keep your company going while living in Johannesburg. Um, but I mean, it was so much fun. We got to know so many nice contestants, so many nice judges, and you kind of just, you, these challenges got thrown at you. And at the end we won, which was a bizarre experience. We didn't go into the thinking we won. <laughs> so that's actually given a nice platform for new opportunities where, um, people have spotted the brand, people recognize you and they say like, oh my word, we've now tried your product. Um, or people stop you somewhere in a coffee shop or something. And they said, oh, Maud Vessel, I saw you on TV. I love your brand. I've bought it somewhere. So definitely has like given some brand recognition through social media, I think. Yeah. Okay. And and was it an, was it a platform to actually talk about your brand or was it not really possible? Um, no, it wasn't really possible on yeah. the show itself. But I think people, the link where pe that people made is they went and followed you on social media. And if you post something about it or if you... On your profile, if it says I'm the owner of Seco, I think a lot of people went through there and like, recognized the brand. Yeah, <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, oh. but, in, but unfortunately, no brands were allowed to be spoken <laughs> of on TV. Yeah. Um, and do you think people can still see the, the that series? I think it is available. I think there was a rerun on TV now. Okay. Um, I'm not sure when it is on, but I think it is available on Showmax or Catchup. Okay. Um, so either one of those, and there's definitely a rerun happening. So if people keep their eyes out for My Kitchen Rules, it's season three. Season three, okay. Yes. And then you also involved in some other project. Uh, you spoke about Maker's Landing. Um, tell us a little bit about yes. that. So Maker's Landing is a space, and it's actually based in the cruise terminal in the Cape Town Harbour. Um, and it's a space where they've created a little market area. So they're about, I think, 12 to, I think at the moment, maybe 18 food stalls um, where you can try different local cuisines. So it's quite focused on like Cape Malay flavors, um, some Indian flavors, and it's, it's really nice space. But the main part of it, what they're trying to do is I'm involved as a mentor there. So every six months, we choose eight new incubatees. So it's people with a concept 
um, of a food product that they either have started and kind of you're trying to get it on the go, or if you've got a concept and you want to start it from scratch, um, you can apply every six months. And that's actually quite fun. So you go through a course where you learn about marketing, you learn about financials, you learn about distribution, you learn about branding. And we try and take you through the program within six months. And after six months, you try and launch product onto a shelf. And if it's not ready, we kind of mentor you and guide you through the next step. So you always have got somebody holding your hand through that um, part that you can always go back. I mean, I sometimes sit in work for Makers Landing and you've got people from the previous program come in and ask questions or they ask the current guys, like, guys, have you launched in SPA? How can I get into SPA? Like, it's a very nice environment for food startups to be in. So I think for anybody interested in entering the food space, I think that's a great place to start or to get in touch or to apply for the next program. If you talk about the market, is there an actual market where they sell those products? Yes. So not necessarily all the incubatees would have a um, stand at the market, but the market is open, I think, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays. Um, and you can go and you can walk around, so it's open to the public. Okay. So there's um, there's a bakery, there's a um, Pinot and Sons distillery, there's a brewery, there's a coffee stand, there's Kusisters, there's Rooties, <laughs> there's all different types of things. So you can actually just go walk around and have a look and then you can see the incubating space. Um, and it's actually at the moment they just filmed Master Chef yeah. in the space. So you can still go and see the Master Chef setup. You can go and take pictures kind of like on the set. And I think every week they've got a meet and greet with the current contestants from Master Chef. So oh. it's a very nice food, food environment to be in. Okay, that sounds exciting. We're busy watching that MasterChef series that ran there. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And the contestants, I think, this year are great. I mean, I'm having a lot of fun watching it. <laughs> yeah, us too. Um, and <laughs> and uh, the future, where where do you see potential? Is is the gin, gin revolution something of the past or is there still a big demand for your product? Um, other opportunities? Um, so it's difficult to say what the future will hold, but I mean, in terms of the sales of Seca, we are still growing. We're still expanding internationally. Um, I think locally it's becoming quite a bit competitive for gen brands. We might see a few of them die down. Um, I think it is becoming quite tricky and people are starting to go back to drinking more mass produced gin, but I'm really hoping that craft gin will stay around because I mean, it is, it's such a good product. And we're seeing other, like we're seeing rise of tequilas and rises of rums and more people drinking infused vodkas and seltzers. So I think that's something where our brand can actually pair with all of those. So I think our brand would stay because people are still adding it to other drinks. Um, but I'm hoping the general stay around. I love the local brands. I love what they've done. I love the different flavors and infusions. And I mean, from cannabis to berries to i mean fain boss there's two roy boss i mean there's so many nice local gins i'm hoping they'll stay around don't forget the elephant dung yes and the elephant dung <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the, i mean the gin thing has really given a new lease of life to the liquor category i guess yes no mm. definitely and you mentioned private label earlier why did you decide to go into that so initially I mean, private label is one of those things that nobody wants to do it because you want to see your brand grow and you want to see your brand on a shelf. Um, but my parents or my dad's in the food industry 
as well. And then once I spoke to him about private label and his advice to me was literally just, if you aren't going to do it, they're going to go to your competitor and they're going to make money off the sales. So he just said, if you can do private label, do it. So we actually then switched to doing quite a bit of private label, quite a bit of um, things for stores, for brands. Um, and I, it's been a massive growth. So we do private label for 680 stores in Europe. We're working with a local online retailer for them on private retail. We're working with a large local liquor brand on packaging stuff for them. So I think it's important to always like work with the people in the market and you know, kind of see what they need and fulfill their needs. Otherwise, somebody else is going to do it and at the end of the day, you want the business, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're not only looking at the consumer and what their needs are, you're also looking at other businesses and what and how you can help them with uh, promoting or working with yes. their brands. That's very interesting. A good angle. Yeah, so for, I mean, for local gin brands, you can do boxes for gift boxes. You can do dried fruit in neck tags. You can do tea bags if they want that angle. There's so many options in different like forms of packaging and also flavors and combinations you can look at and you can pitch it to brands. And next thing they say yes, and you've got another basically brand under their label. So um, it is very nice. I think it's important to kind of work with people in the industry. I think the most important thing for like the key takes out for me as Seco is to first like to test the product in the market and to kind of start small. I think that was the key learning for me. People rush into things and that's when you make mistakes and also lose a lot of money. Um, so I would say my key takeout for Seco was first test the market and also start slow and also build your brand and work with your employees, be interested in them. Um, because I mean, they also want to come to a nice environment where the boss is interested in them. So I think that was something that I also learned along the way that you really need to be invested in your employees and kind of upskill them and train them in food safety and all of that. So they've got skills to move on if they wanted to go and like kind of grow themselves yeah. in an industry as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that was basically my learn out mm. um, from Seiko. And also to also, one thing we didn't touch on was in terms of suppliers, um, I think it's important to also look at your suppliers and every like nine to 12 months get quotes from competitors. Um, just to always know who your suppliers could be, who your partners can be. Um, because you quickly get stuck and you, four years later you're sitting with the same person, but you could actually be sitting with somebody that's 34 or 40% cheaper. And I think especially during COVID with costs that rose so much and shipping issues and supply issues where like the cost just became unbearable to import for even like cardboard supplies in South Africa to do your packaging. And I think it was very important to keep going back to competitors and getting new quotes and pricing because I mean, at the end of the day, you must try and keep your cost low um, to get the prices low for the consumer. Otherwise, they're going to stop buying your product. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And you can manage all of that on your own. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm managing, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yes, at the moment, at the moment, doing that all myself. But I mean, it's not, it sounds like a lot of work, but it's, one or two emails that you need to send out to suppliers yeah. for new quotes and you look at competitors or new guys entering the market. There's so many new people entering that are importing dried spices or something. Um, mm. Because unfortunately we don't have a spice trade in South Africa. Um, so I think it's important just to keep your ear on the ground and know what's happening in the industry 
um, to keep your business you know, going and always at the right price point. Yeah. Well, Vessel, thank you for, for your time today. And uh, and I'm very excited to hear that you're doing so well, especially the export orders. I think that's very exciting that a, such a young South African company can be um, playing on that level. Yeah, no, thanks, Olga. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for the opportunity to chat about the business and my experience. I hope somebody <laughs> can learn from it. Yeah. And uh, and just tell us where people can order the product online. Yeah, so for any if consumers want to order it, they can get it from Take Lord Yappy Chef. I think Deliver also sells this. You can get it delivered to your house. And then most spas and pick and plays around the country. Okay. Um, but if somebody's interested in wholesale, they can contact me directly either through our Instagram page or on our website, which is tastelab.ca.za. Thank you for listening to our stories here online. In the show notes, you will also find a link where you can subscribe to become part of our community and be notified when we upload our latest content.